you know, at Northridge, a big part of what we're trying to accomplish is to just show the compassion that Jesus showed only in our world. You know, the church in general is kind of known as a place that wants to gather people in and take and build its own stuff, but it's not at all what Jesus is about, and it's certainly not at all what we want to be about. You can't deny we're a very big church, but that's, that's really not the point. I, I didn't go into ministry years and years ago so that we could have a big church, but many people miss it. They see the size of our church, and they don't know that the size of our heart is even bigger. When we see a, a need, a burden, we just want to invest Jesus' compassion against it. And we don't want to show his compassion just in like churchy ways. We don't just want to go over and talk about the love of Jesus. We, we want to show it in real ways. You know, what so many people don't know about Northridge is that we're making an investment in the lives and the education and the health of people and children in particular all around the world, Haiti, Nicaragua, India, We've built a couple of hospitals in Africa, all these different things, but we don't want to be known locally as the church that invests around the world but forgets its hometown. And so as we started talking about Easter and what we could do different this year, our minds immediately went to the children of Flint. It's one thing to care about an issue like Flint when it's trending. But you know, Flint's still reeling right now, and I can't even imagine what it would do to me to know that I had been giving my kids water and bathing my kids in water that was ultimately making them sick and hurting them. And we have to do something about it. Last year, you know, we had over 30,000 people come to Easter, and we thought, hey, let's use the the amazing impact of Easter at Northridge to make a difference there. So this year, on top of all the other things we do, we've decided to use our numbers to change lives. Here's what we came up with. For every person that walks through the door of Northridge this Easter, we're going to give another dollar of compassion to help the children of Flint in dealing with and overcoming this, this water issue, not halfway around the world, but right here. The truth is, every kid counts and every dollar counts. And so I hope that, I hope this year, we just can't fit people at Northridge because I want us to have to give a ton. So invite everyone you know in every sphere, it doesn't matter who they are because not only will they experience a very relevant and impacting Easter service, but more than that, even if they hate that, they will be making a difference in the lives of children in Flint. And we won't just be a huge crowd of people gathering at Northridge, but every single person will represent another dollar and another investment in a child that matters. And that, in the end, will I think be the legacy of this year's Easter at Northridge. You come and we'll give. We are so excited since releasing this Compassion Project for Easter last weekend, a ton of people have been inspired and impacted and we really do believe it's going to it's going to impact in two ways. A lot of people are inviting and bringing people in, and so everyone who walks through the doors, that's going to make an impact. And, of course, we get to share the message of hope with everyone who comes here next, next weekend for Easter. So excited about that. And then the children in Flint are going to certainly benefit from this impact. And uh, you just need to know some things have changed since we made that video last weekend. It's been viewed by 70,000 people. Hope you, that you keep sharing it and moving it forward. We're really excited about that. But we've had two families who are a part of Northridge who are so inspired by this potential to get people here, but then also to impact Flint, 
that they, unique from each other and individually, have committed to matching whatever our attendance is and giving to Flint. And so I thought, I actually thought it was awesome for every one person that comes through the doors, we're giving a dollar to Flint. And so that was worth inviting people towards. That was worth us getting out there and getting people in. Now, for every person who comes to Easter at Northridge, any of our sites, for every one person, $3 will be going to impact the children of Flint. So be watching, if you would, be watching the Northridge Facebook page and my Facebook page, and we'll be sharing this with you, and then you can be sharing that, and maybe we can get 100,000 people to be watching this thing, and hopefully all of us will go broke in supporting Flint as a result of this, and it'll be great. So I'm so excited that you're here, and I want you to know when you invite someone to Northridge for Easter... We have been working for months and months and praying for months and months for this service, and I just believe it's going to have such an impact in people's lives. You will love that you're here. You will love that you invited people here, and I believe we're going to see a lot of changed lives, and so I hope you'll be praying for it. In fact, as we, as we move into Easter, we've started a text prayer ministry in um, we're going to send out, beginning Monday, a text every day, just one a day, kind of instructing and, and ideating on prayer for, towards the weekend, things we can be praying about, and then we'll be reminding you to pray for the weekend and things to pray about and letting you know what's going on as well. And if you'd like to be a bar, part of our text prayer ministry, it's really, really easy. You just take out your phone and you send a text to 313131, and then your message is... Easter 2017, no spaces. So no spaces, Easter 2017, that's your message. And we'll start sending you these messages. We won't inundate you, but we'll send you messages about what to pray for Easter. Um, and, and you'll be a part of it. I need to warn you, if you do Easter space 2017, you're signing up for Saddleback Community Church's prayer ministry. And that's, if you don't know Saddleback, Rick Warren's a friend of mine. He wrote Purpose Driven Church. Uh, look, at he's got enough people praying for him, seriously. <laughs> so don't put a space there. Easter 2017, and you'll be a part of Northridge Prayer Ministry. We're so excited about this coming week, and we really, please invite everyone you can. Please invite everyone you can. We have 18 services at Northridge, 11 here at Plymouth alone, and uh, I, I'm so excited about what's going to happen. All right, with that, I'm going to ask you to stand right now, if you would. We're going to receive an offering. If you're a first-time guest at Northridge, we're so glad you're here. And please know, from our heart, we want nothing from you. This service is our gift to you. Let the basket pass you by. Those of us who come to Northridge, we don't give out of some manipulated sense of duty. Our lives have been transformed by the hope of Jesus from all that he's given to us. And as a part of this church ministry, we get to see this the thousands of lives being impacted by what God's doing here, and we want to be a part of it, and so we give to do that. And we're going to pray right now, if you'd join me. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this moment, that we get to be here remembering that you really are God, that you really are the one who can meet our needs, that, that because of you, we can have hope. And I just ask now that as we gather here and, and give sacrificially, generously towards your work, that you would be honored by that, but more than that, that you would multiply our gifts to show your love and, and impact with your truth around the world and around our region. And for Easter, God, let it truly be the moment of hope for so many people, and let Flint really be impacted by it. And we'll thank you for it because of all you've done for us in Jesus' name, amen. After the basket goes through your row, you can be seated.
Over the years, here's what I've found. When it comes to the real and significant issues of our lives, we're powerless. We're, we're helpless in front of them. And I know that on the surface, just hearing that, it, it doesn't even sound right. It doesn't sound completely true. It, it kind of sounds like I'm one of those guys overselling or overstating a reality to get you to believe something else. But, but when you really look at our lives, it's true. We're powerless. We're, we're helpless in front of the significant issues. Yeah, and we do have, of course, the power to, to get up in the morning if our heart keeps beating. We, we do have the power to, to go to work if, you know, the economy allows for us to have a job. We have the power to, to have relationships, you know, get married, have kids, raise them, or whatever we choose to do in life. That's true, but, but there's a huge problem with the, the power we have. It's extremely limited. It actually leaves us powerless because we have the power to do some of these external things, but we only have that power when all the circumstances are right and allow us to do them. But we don't have any power over the circumstances themselves. In the end, none of us has the power to control our lives or circumstances. We don't have the power to protect or control the circumstances or the outcomes of our loved one's lives. And isn't that where so much of our fear comes from? The idea that we, we can't control the outcomes for those we love the most, let alone for our own lives? And as I think about it, it it's even bigger than that. Even, even if everything in our life is going right, even if all is well, we don't have the power to ensure that our lives will still have meaning and significance. We, we don't have the power, even in the light of everything going well, to, to ensure that we experience joy in what we have. We're powerless. Jesus said it. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? No one. Who has the power to really change any little area of our life, even just adding a second to it? No one does. We are, in the end, powerless, which brings us to the truth of this weekend that's so vital to, to all that we long to experience in life. We need God's power if we're going to ultimately live genuinely successful lives. I mean, we really do. If we're going to know meaning in life and fulfillment in life and, and joy in life, then we need God's power to get there. And this isn't something I'm manufacturing. This is something Jesus clearly taught time and time and time again. Look at John 15, 5. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of life. You're the branches. It's only in being attached to me that you have life. And then he extends the metaphor. If a man remains in me and I in him, then he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, he says, you're helpless. You're hopeless. You're powerless. The truth is we need God's power to live the lives we were created to live, to to fulfill the purpose for which we were designed to achieve anything of eternal significance. We need God's power to overcome our own weaknesses and failures, to know joy and, and to know it even in the hope of a world like ours, a very uncertain world. Paul the Apostle really got this down and he, he stated it in a a positive statement of truth in Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The opposite is also true. I can do nothing, he's saying, apart from him who can give me strength. We need God's power if we're going to live a genuinely successful life. The, and yet the unfortunate reality is the vast majority of people, often me, probably often you, in our world today are attempting to live life in their own power. 
I mean, we do that, right? We, we attempt to do it on our own, to power up ourselves, to live it in our own capacities, in our own strength. And, and I have to tell you, this is why life is so frustrating and discouraging for most of us. Because we're trying to do what we ultimately can't do. We're trying to control what we can't control. And more often than not, it seems like the world is out of control and life is out of control because we have no capacity to control it. People are trying to control their circumstances and they can't and as a result, it, it ultimately leads to ruin, to horrible choices, to devastation. The truth is that we all need God's power if we're ultimately going to live successfully and, and in a fulfilled way. This weekend, I want to introduce you to another one of God's names. Every time we find a, a huge void in our life, every time we find a huge need, that's when we discover that God's already come alongside and said, oh, you didn't know that's my name? Well, the same is true here. He calls himself El Shaddai in the Bible, El Shaddai. And El Shaddai simply means I am your all-powerful God. It's very often translated in the Bible with these words, the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. Power is his name. We all need it. I love the personal nature in which the psalmist says it in Psalm 68, verse 35. He's talking to God personally. He says, you are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. And then when he realizes who God is by name, he kind of then casts out the message to people like us. He says, the God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. It's what we need. And he's the Lord Almighty. It's his name. But for me, it's one thing to, to know a statement of fact, and it's, a, it's another thing than to live out that fact in the reality of my life. Do you have a difficult time with that? It's like, it's one thing to know a truth. It's an entirely different thing to live out that truth in the application of life. I, I have a hard time with this one. Yeah, I need his power to successfully live, but every day I tend to get up and try and function on my own power. And it's only when I have a crisis or an emergency where I reach out to him and, and look for his power, but I need it every day, and so do you. And so what I've done is I've tried to, tried to work through the realities of my life and what I really am like without him and contrast it with what his power can do in me. And it's really helped me to see the importance of this so that I might be a little bit more motivated to, to look to his power on a daily basis. As I've done this, I've realized that we need God's power because he can actually turn our weaknesses into strengths. And then this is a big deal. He, he can turn our weaknesses, and we all have them, into strengths. And that's odd because, quite frankly, you know what I have found my weaknesses do? My weaknesses turn into even greater weaknesses. Have you found that in your life? I found that my weaknesses lead me to struggle and to wrestle and then to make choices to get around my weakness in ways that I undercut myself and I become even more weak. But he has the capacity with his power to turn my weaknesses into strengths. And this is great because all of us have them. Now, admittedly, we, we're different. So some of you have far more strengths than the rest of us, right? Some of us have a ton of weaknesses and a couple strengths. And some of you have a ton of strengths and a couple of weaknesses. But, but who cares? Because if you've got one weakness, that's where you fall. And it doesn't matter how many strengths you have. Ultimately, you're going to be defined by where you fall and your weaknesses will lead to that. And we need God's power because he can turn our weaknesses into strengths. Look, look how Paul says it. You know, we have this tendency to be ashamed of our weaknesses, to hide from them. We all try to create the image that we don't have them when we really do. And Paul was just like us in the Bible. And look what he discovered. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power 
is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, well, you're, you're trying to hide your weaknesses and run from them, but you need to know my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'm gonna stop running from them, hiding from them, denying them. I, I, instead, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'm going to acknowledge them so that Christ's power, which is perfected in my weakness, may rest on me. And he goes, that's why for Christ's sake, I now delight in my weaknesses. I acknowledge them, I embrace them, whether it's through insults or hardships, persecutions or difficulties. And this is why, for when I am weak, because of God's name, El Shaddai, who he is, his power, when I am weak, then I am strong. We need God's power because he can turn our weaknesses into strengths. And you know what I found? I found that my, weakness are mo- mo- my weaknesses are most identified when I face temptation. Because temptation reveals where I'm weak, you know? I mean, tempted here, no problem. Tempted here, no problem. Tempted here, no problem. Tempted here, ooh, got me. And it's in temptation that our weakness comes out. And, you know, we're all tempted in, in very similar ways, but, but we all fall to different temptations because we have different weaknesses. All of us do. But do you know we don't have to fall to our weakness because he can turn our weakness into strength. And Paul once again said it in a different way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. We all experience temptation. But know this, God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Of course he will. You know what your way out is? His power, his strength. We need his power if we're going to live successful lives instead of being tripped up by our weaknesses time and time again. Can I ask you, is your life being defined by your weakness or his strength? His name is power. I found in my life that I I need his power because life is not built upon good time after good time. Quite frankly, the good times seem to be seldom and the bad times seem to be often. And so life is more often built upon the bad times instead of the good times. And I, I don't do great with bad times. And here's what I've discovered. I need his power because he can turn my worst times into what ultimately become my best times. This is a big deal. And we've all experience the worst of times. And if we're honest, the worst of times ultimately lead to even worse times. Because when you're going through a bad time, isn't that when you're most likely to make a bad choice? Isn't that when you're most likely to compromise? Isn't that when you're most likely to take a shortcut or an end around? Isn't that when you're most likely to push God out of your life because you're mad that a good God would let this to happen? Isn't it the worst of times that bring the shadows into our life more than anything else? Yeah, I have found that my worst times usually lead to worst times, but with God's power, he can turn my worst times into my best times. This is bizarre, but it's true. I used this passage last week, but it just is so important to this truth. I'm using it again. Look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face the worst of times, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that That, you know, the worst of times, the testing of your faith, develops perseverance, strength. And perseverance then has to finish its its work. That which results from the worst of times has to finish its work so that you become, and look what the definition is, mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, if I've become mature and complete, not lacking anything, what am I experiencing? The best of times. He can take the worst of times in my life and my choices and he can turn them into the best of times with his power. I need his power and so do you. We need his power because he can turn that which all of us face, our impossibilities, and we all face the things we just can't do, and he can turn our impossibilities into possibilities doesn't even make sense, but that's what his power does. Remember, he's El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. He's the Lord Almighty. Jesus said it. Look at Luke 18, 27. What's impossible with men is possible with God. That's some power. 
What's impossible for us is possible for him. Now, can I, can I get just personal and practical just for a minute on this one? Because it's kind of a cute thing to say he can turn our impossibilities into possibilities. That's cute. But I, I want you to know that it's real. There are two words that I find myself saying a lot in life that define or at least declare my weakness, my innate weakness. And I, as a pastor, have found that there are two words that I hear so often from everyone I know as they're facing their weaknesses and the difficult moments of life. And you know what those two words are that often define us, define me? I can't. I can't. Oh, man. I've said that a lot in my life. And you've said it a lot. In fact, I, I can't tell you how often I hear this about the issues of life. For example, I, I hear so often, I can't make my marriage work. I can't make my marriage work. Oh, man. I hear this almost every day from my wife, Roxanne. I... <laughs> I can't make my marriage work. But you get the idea, right? I can't. Defines us, our weakness, our inability. I I hear so often, I I can't overcome this temptation. I've thought it myself about my, I can't overcome this. This is just an innate weakness. I I get tripped up every time. I, I can't forgive such and such. I'm sorry, they've just gone one step too far. I can't forgive them. I can't. I'm going to remain bitter and angry. I've heard some people say, I, I can't overcome my hatred. I can't. I'm wondering what your I can't is right now. What is it in your life that you're saying, whether you're enunciating with those two words or just by the way you live, what are you facing where you go, I just can't? can't change this, I can't overcome this, I can't do that. I believe the statements are true. Don't get me wrong, when we say I can't, we're simply stating the reality of our lives, but here's what we need to know. The truth that God is El Shaddai, that his name is power, nullifies those two words. Please hear this one. The truth is, we can't, but God can. I mean, that's the truth. And here's, here's what's important about that. Because some of you are going, yeah, I can't, he can. Who cares? Well, here's who should care. He's made his power available to us. We should care. He transcends our limitations. He transcends our circumstances. He's above our resources. He's above our our knowledge. He's above our view. He's not limited by what we're limited by. We don't have to be imprisoned by our lack of power because we can live in his unlimited power. He is the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. Power is his name. You see, we need his power because he can... He can turn our failures into successes. And this is important because most of us see our life through the lens of our failures, through the lens of our defeats. We live in insecurity as a result of them, fear because of them. We, We don't become what we should become. We don't even try anymore because we just think we're going to fall again. We're defined by our failures. We need his power because all of us are failures, but he can turn failures into successes. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it as clearly as you can get it. If anyone is in Christ, El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, they become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He turns even failures into successes. And maybe, maybe if I can get personal, right now this weekend, you're failing relationally. That's where most of us tend to fail more often than not. He has the power to turn your present failures into ultimate successes, even in your relationships. Maybe 
Maybe you're failing vocationally or morally or spiritually or financially or whatever you want to put in there. You need to know you need his power because he can turn your failures into ultimate success. You know where you can find this truth? In every single story of anyone who lived a godly life in the Bible. Because you know what they all were? Failures. Do you know what changed their story? God's power. When you look at Peter, you know what he was? A failure. What happened when he experienced God's power? He became a success. Do you know Paul? He called himself the worst of sinners. He was a failure. But with God's power, he became a success. Moses, one of the greatest leaders ever walked this planet, failure until God's power turned him into a success. And you know what will always be? Failures, unless we experience God's power turning us into successes. We need God's power to experience genuine success in life. Are you experiencing his power? Now, we could go further into this, but I'll let you go further on your own. Let me just give you an application, a way to bring this into your real walk, your real life. I I think this statement will help you get there. It certainly helps me. Because God has made his power available, we don't have to live powerless lives anymore. I mean, this is a big deal. Because the God who can has made his power available to us, we no longer have to be defined by, I can't. This is life-changing. And this is why Paul prayed what he prayed to those who were following Jesus in the church of Ephesus and obviously was praying them for people like us. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 20. He says, I pray that out of his glorious abundance, out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power. That's what we need. That's his name. Through his spirit in your inner being, that he literally will fill you from the inside out with his power. And then he goes on with this prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Now, man, that's not an I can't philosophy. That's an I can't philosophy. To him who can do immeasurably more than we can dream, we can think, we can imagine. And how does he do it? according to his power that's at work within us. Too many of us are looking for some unbelievable, miraculous transformation of power to come flying down into our lives someplace, but you need to know that's not how it works. He puts his power in you. This changes everything. And yet most of us still struggle along and limp along. We're living frustrated and discouraged lives. Why? Because we're trying to live for him in our capacity or we're trying to overcome the impossibilities in our power and we can't do it, but in him we can. And so that brings me to another place in my life that I get confronted by my own reality. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to live it. And so I've had to process, how do I, how do I live God's power out? Because when I first came to faith in Jesus, some of you might be struggling at that point or even pre that point in your life right now. When I first came, I thought, man, once I experience Jesus in my life, God's power is automatic. That's what I thought. I thought, God's power is automatic. I'm in Jesus. Boom. But you know what I found? God's power is not automatic. You know what happens to me? I wake up every morning and literally have to crawl to the coffee pot drink coffee in hopes that I will be able to start moving into my day. God's power is not automatic. And most of us limp through our days. We limp because we're walking in our brokenness instead of his power. So I've had to find, how can I live out God's power? How can I unlock it in my life? Well, there are some principles that I've discovered that might help you. Here, I found in my life, and this is hard for me, but it's true. If I'm going to experience God's power, if I'm going to live it, I have to admit that I'm powerless. If we're going to live God's power, we have to admit that we're powerless. And that's not what most of us wake up doing. 
we have to admit that we're powerless to ourselves first, that we really can't, and then we have to admit it to God. We have to agree with Jesus who said, apart from him, we can do nothing. And I'm gonna tell you, I, I know because I do this too. When you heard me say at the very beginning of this talk that we're powerless, apart from him, we can't do anything, many of you started having that argument in your head. I don't think that's true. It's true. And the reason you're limping through life is because you haven't yet acknowledged it or you aren't right now. James 4, 6 says it, but he gives us more grace. And I want you to put a picture in your head here. Remember, I already read that verse from 2 Corinthians 12 from Paul where Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Where you're weak, that's where my strength is perfected. My grace can change everything. Here it says, he gives us more grace. And that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His grace is sufficient, but most of us don't experience it because we're too proud. We just have to simply acknowledge it. I'm powerless. David had the same problem we do. He was wrapped with the same stuff that we are, and he blew it in life big time, and he tried to overcome it on his own and hide it, and, and he finally came to Psalm 51 where he wrote his great confessional, and he acknowledged his weakness. Look what he says in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God aren't strength, but they're a broken spirit. The sacrifice to God is a broken and contrite heart. That's what God doesn't despise. He had to come to the place where he admitted he was powerless, and so do we. In the face of your weakness, in the face of the things you're struggling with, you have to ultimately get to the place where you say, I can't do this. Acknowledge it. And then we have to, if we're going to live in God's power, it's not enough to acknowledge that we can't. We have to then rely on the reality that God can. We have to rely on fully God's power. If we're going to live in God's power, we have to fully rely on his power. That's what Jesus was saying. You've got to remain in me. You've got to remain in me like a branch remains in the vine. Paul gave the example of it. You know, when people looked at Paul, and when we do from our perspective here in the 21st century back, we look at him and go, that guy was, he was a rock star. He was an unbelievable, he, the guy, he was a superhero of the faith. I'm nothing like that. And, and he knew people looked at him that way, and he wanted people to know, no, it's a struggle for me just like it was, is for you. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, to think different of us than you should. We want you to understand the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. In fact, it was pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We didn't have the power. We were helpless. So much so were we helpless that we despaired even of life itself. We had a hard time even thinking about moving forward in life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death like it's over. We're done. And then he says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know what I'm saying? Look at, I have to realize I can't do it, and then I have to rely upon the God who can, otherwise I live in my failure. He, we, need God's power. When we have no fuel in our life, that's when we need to turn to God in faith. And let me just tell you, we never have fuel in our life without God's power. Never. We need to rely on him. And if we're going to live God's power, then we need to obey God and just trust him with the results. We need to obey God and trust him with the results, saying, God, this is what I want to do, but I don't have, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you with the results of this. Proverbs 21, 31, I try and keep this in mind all the time. The horse is made ready for day of battle. That which I can do, you know, prepare the horse, train the horse, outfit the horse, get the horse ready for battle, get it all done. I mean, the horse has to be made ready for battle, but everything that I do means nothing in the end because victory rests with the Lord. I've got, my hope comes from him. My power comes from him. You know where I turn to, to get a picture of this that I can understand? I turn to Peter walking on the water. I mean, there's, there's no better picture of the impossible than walking on water, right? Look at Matthew 14, verses 28 and 29. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Jesus was walking on the water, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus gave him this command. Come. 
There it is. Come. Quite frankly, I'm with the other 11 in the boat saying, not doing it, right? But Peter says, okay. The Bible says, then Peter got down out of the boat. He obeyed immediately, got out of the boat, didn't make any sense, got out of the boat, and look what happened. And walked on the water and came toward Jesus. You know what he did, right? He just obeyed God and trusted God with the results. He didn't have the power, but Jesus did. Obviously, Jesus was walking on water, but if you know the rest of the story, then Peter began to sink. Do you know that part of the story? You know why he started to sink, right? He started to sink because he looked around and realized, I can't walk on water. Of course he can't. When he started thinking of his own inability and he tried to do it in his own inability, what happened? He was unable. And I'm going to tell you something. This is so important. I hope you're not thinking about anything but this right now. This is how most of us are living our lives trying to walk in our own inability, and thus we are finding ourselves unable. Oh, we might be doing it in Jesus' name or not. We might be doing it for the right reasons or not. We're unable. And so we're sinking. But then you know what Peter did? This is so great. Peter then reached out his hand and said, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? Jesus reached out and pulled him up, and together they walked on the water back to the boat. Because you see, our impossibility is his possibility. And what we need to start doing in life is just start obeying him. You know, we do it in every area of our life. We go, I can't give like that. I can't love like that. I can't serve like that. I can't. I can't. Instead of saying, God, you want me to give like that? You want me to forgive like that? You want me to love like that? You want me to serve like that? Okay, and I'm going to trust you with the results. That's when we walk on water because he's El Shaddai. Now, there are so many ways this could go, but what I'm gonna do is just, I just wanna give you two action steps to take with you, and then you can deal with kind of working through other things in your life. I, I just, two action steps. The first one is this. If, if you're ever going to experience God's power in your life, which you need to experience life as it was meant to be experienced, you, you have to start by receiving God's power for salvation. You have to receive God's power for salvation. I mean, it's where it starts. And here we are on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is this wonderful time of remembering when Jesus came into Jerusalem and everybody was celebrating him and all of that stuff and waving palms. And as it turns out, none of them really believed it, that he was king. And within a couple of days, they all betrayed him. Most of them betrayed him. And, and he was put on a cross where he died. And he died because the wages of our sin is death, and though he had never sinned, he died so that he could pay for our sins, and then he rose so that he could give his power of new life to us. Most of us are defined by our sin, by our failures, by our bad choices, by our guilt, by our shame. Most of us are pretending to be something we're not because we're so ashamed of who we are. But he, he has the power to take all of that away and to forgive us and to make us new. That's where we have to start. Now there's an application to this that applies to every single one of us, even those of us who know Jesus. I hope you'll stay and wait for that. But right now, I think there are some of you who really need God's power to save you. And so I'm going to invite all of you just right now, just for a moment, to bow in a word of prayer before I finish the talk. And if you're here and you're ready to receive Jesus, or if you're watching this talk anywhere around the world right now, and you're ready to receive the power of God to save you, pray with me, would you? Just take my words in this prayer and, and make them yours. You don't have to say it out loud. Just in your heart to God, say, Jesus, I need your power to save me. I've sinned. I'm guilty. But I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And by faith, I'm confessing my sin and receiving that new life. In your name, Jesus, I'm praying. Amen.
And if you just prayed with me before I give you this last and final application, I just want to encourage you to let me know. And here's why I want you to let me know. Two reasons. One, I, I want to know. I want to celebrate. I want to pray for you. But secondly, I want to help you start moving forward in your relationship with God. And we've made it so easy to tell us. You don't have to, like, get up and say, me, you know. Um, we, in, if you're in our services, we have this program. Inside is this connection card. You just rip it out. It's really easy. It tells you what to do. There's a place where you can say you prayed with me to receive Jesus. And if you did, check it off. There are boxes at every exit. When you leave, just put it in there. And we've put together materials to help you take next steps with God. And starting this weekend, we haven't done this for years but starting this weekend, if you let us know that you prayed with us, we're also going to include in that packet a, a full Bible so that you can start getting into God's Word and start moving forward that way. And just let us know that you made this decision, okay? If you have made a decision, or maybe you're wrestling with something here, we have a prayer team that in all of our campuses, after the service ends, they meet up front. And if you want someone to pray with you or pray for you or to talk to you about some things... They're up here, and I just encourage you to come and connect with them. They'd love to spend some time with you. But here's, here's my last action step I want to give you. If we're going to ultimately really experience God's power, then once we've received God's power for salvation, you know what we have to do? We have to then rely on God's power in our weakness. And this is where I fail more often than not. I... It's one thing to say, yeah, I've received God's forgiveness for my past sin. I've received his salvation. Yeah, that's done. And now I'm trying to live for him. But I'm not relying on his power and my weakness. And so uh, very often I'm falling in life because I'm not relying on him in my weakness. And I don't know where you're weak, but I do know this. Where you're weak, God is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 again. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so I just really want to encourage you to rely on him there. I believe many of us are living an I can't life. I can't overcome this hatred. I can't overcome this anger. I can't overcome this unforgiveness. I can't love. I can't forgive. I can't go on. I can't overcome. And how sad is that when all the time God is saying, hey, I'm El Shaddai. I'm the all-powerful God. I'm the Lord God Almighty and I've, I've shared my power with you. It's available. This week, why don't you, when you face your I can't, turn to the God who can and say, God, I can't, but you can and in this moment I'm asking you to pour your power in me. And if you do that, you know what's going to happen? Your life is going to change because that's what God's power does in you. Does that make sense? You have a need for his power. It's his name. And my prayer is you'll experience his name this week, power in your life. Just before you get out of here, don't forget to invite people for Easter. Don't forget. And you who are part of Plymouth, um, we have 11 services, four on Friday, five on Saturday, two on Sunday. And we've done that because... If all of you come to one service, we will be shut down, okay? So we really need you to divide it up. If, look, if the only time you can come is next weekend at 11.16, here's what I say to you. Come and good luck, okay? That's kind of the way I look at that. Uh, but be inviting people to the Friday, to the Saturday, and all that. We have invitation cards that you can get from the people in red shirts out there. In fact, if you want one of our fake news, Jesus is Dead Northridge Church shirts, we have them available. You can, you can get them for $10, and you might be going, oh, there they are, trying to make money on me. No. Every penny of profit from those shirts, $10, they cost five, we're charging 10. Every penny we get, is going to advance Flint water on top of what we're already giving. So, hey. And if you, if you have a hard time inviting people to church, talking to people about it and that kind of thing, wear that red shirt, I promise. People are going to ask you questions. I've been told, wherever it's been worn, people are just staring you down like this, go, yeah. Jesus, Easter, you know, you want some hope, come to Northridge, that kind of deal. But it's like, it'd be fun to wear that thing around. I'm so glad you're here. Share that video, invite people. We'll see you at Easter, but don't forget this week, live in his power. God bless you. Thanks, everybody.